Zero. All right. Okay. We're about to begin the Mental Threads Podcast, episode 109. I'm here with Miss. If you'd like to introduce yourself, please. Say Carrie. Yes. Say Carrie. Well, that's weird. Uh, say, isn't say like a boy's name? Like saying that what you named the first boy? Okay. okay. So I know. Um, depending on your ethnic group in Liberia, it is in for you who are watching, say is a Liberian West African name. So depending on what your ethnic group is, it, it has different meanings. So I know like what uh, T just stated, uh, I know it's a, it can be a Gio Amano name and say means first boy. However, I'm from the Bassa and uh, Kron ethnic group and it means something completely different and it can uh, it can be a boy and a girl's name so actually my name should be spelled with two e's s a y e e but my parents dropped the 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 second e and it's just say however the the meaning of the name that i have it means to speak beautiful one who speaks or to pay debt okay that's nice that's great it's crazy how there's so many different ethnic groups and that's crazy i didn't know that you were cron and everything i thought uh because jeremy's like mandingo right no um so on so uh jeremy and i are first cousins mm-hmm. so my mother and his mom are are uh are siblings and oh, okay. rest in peace to my auntie and happy birthday to her happy birth anniversary to her um they are conga and um loma Oh, Congo, yes. Lorma. Oh, yes. Okay. And then on my dad's side, I am Bassa and Kron. Oh, so you're going with your dad's side. Okay. Wait, what, what was Jeremy's side again? Lorma and what? That's my side too. So my maternal, Jeremy is from my maternal side of family. Oh. So our grand, our grandparents, his, my, our maternal grandparents, his, his grandparents, they are also my grandparents. Our grandma was a Conga woman. And then our grandfather was Loma, was a Loma man. Oh, yes. Okay. Why well, kept saying he was Mendingo? I gosh, I mean, goodness. My and then on my father's side, my father's side is uh, Bassa and Kron. Oh, okay. Well, dang, that's crazy. Cause you know, I'm mono, obviously full blooded both sides. My dad was mono, my mom was mono. They said they're Kron. Yeah, that's kind of a little bit uh, awkward with the whole. Uh, Civil War situation. Uh, I haven't been to Liberia. Has the relations gotten a little bit better since the Civil War? Um, I, I I'm not sure because I wasn't around during. You know, you know, I, I've been here, so I don't know like what has happened. I was born and raised in the United States, so is that that climate still going on? The ethnic, the uh, conflict or clashing between the ethnic groups. I have, I'm not sure, but from my understanding, you don't, in 2022, you don't see that as much as how how it was in the past. Mm -hmm. But the scars are, do still linger, like, in regards to the Civil War, even, like, economically, they still settle in, which is really sad, too, because it's like, you know, like, Kron and Mono folk, we kind of live kind of close with each other, Mm -hmm. um, within the same county and stuff of that nature, Mm -hmm. so it's like, I think, what, Kron, Kron was Grand Gide, right? Was it, what, what, Grand Gide. Grand Chitty. Yeah, that's right next door to like Nimba County, correct? And um River Sess, where my, my paternal grandmother is from, River Sess is right below uh, uh um Nimba. Um, I even sometimes I've even gotten mistaken for a, a Nimba person, a Nimba woman. And I I know uh growing up, um one of this Liberian person stated I look like a, a mana woman, a, a mana girl growing up. And I know one time somebody said the way how the, the, the shape of mom knows and it looks like I'm from Nima County. I said, OK, well, we're one of the same. We're, you know, we're yeah. from the from the southern, the eastern part of like of Liberia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like we're going to clash and have some kind of like, you know, similarities to some degree or another and everything. I'm not too familiar with ethnic groups to really say like, you know, who's who based on like what their facial looks like or whatnot. Um, but honestly, I guess I usually base things on personality. Like one of my Liberian friends, like, oh, yeah, I'm Pele. So, OK, you're obviously Pele. Because when I think about Pele people, I think that they're just like peaceful, chill type of people. They don't really bother with nobody or nothing from my impression. But I don't really know every every Pele person to know how everybody's different and whatnot so it's just like you know like yeah like well what's your experience with different ethnic groups and everything like what was your impression and whatnot i mean it depends again there's good and bad in all ethnic groups and, and so forth and from 
having that experience with other Liberian folk, it's, especially when you're in the United States, yes. we're more so looking at each other as Liberians and we're not looking at each other as our ethnic groups. Although we will mention like, oh, I come from, I'm a Conga person, I'm Loma, I'm Mano, I'm Gio, Pele, Kisi. It's more so like, this is my fellow Liberian brother or sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is the mindset we should pretty much carry into a lot more. But considering how we all are still human beings at the same time, there's certainly like, oh, yeah, that's why he's like this, because he's like that. Or that's why, because he was brought up like that. I feel like upbringing does play a lot into a yes. lot of our characteristics and whatnot. Like, for instance, like I'm a mono man. Like I grew up like mono. My family were mono. So it's like, you know, my exposure to Liberian, like, you know, like, for instance, like, you know, mono folk, like, you know, we're very educated, but at the same time, what comes with that uh like we're kind of like in my opinion i feel like we're a lot of us are kind of head-ass to a certain degree like we think like we know way too much uh to the point where it's like we don't humble ourselves when listening to other people which could bring about a lot of conflict within our tribe as a whole too i feel like uh but at the same time we're still very loving and caring people you know um we're very loyal people but it's like what really messes us up as a people from like from my perspective it's like we kind of at a time like you know when you're very head-ass about yourself or you think about you know everything you have a tendency to overstep boundaries and feel like you know that really shouldn't be overstepped you know that we're that can kind of bleed into being kind of looked upon as being selfish and wonder when we're not (laughs) sometimes we have that tendency where we really have issues seeing uh, from other people's perspective and I feel like a lot of us children who are kind of raised under that household I feel like that's kind of built into us as a strength we learn to like really um, vocalize our, our ideas and our points of views and also listen from other people's points of view without judging people as much because we were exposed to that um, I mean, is there anything from your upbringing that you kind of notice any kind of trends or patterns and everything uh, well growing up uh Born, as I stated before, I was born in Queens, New York, Far Rockaway, Queens, New York. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And uh, growing up, m- my parents, you know, of course, they expose us to our Liberian culture. And, you know, from I know, like from the 90s, because I'm, I'm in my early 30s. So I was born in 1990. And okay. during that time, it was a civil war going on. So like throughout my childhood, unfortunately, it was a civil war that was going on. But, uh, you know, that uh, unfortunately that occurred and it was more so like my parents, you know, showing us how to cook the food, learning about the food or like this, this dish is popular among this uh, ethnic group and so forth. And then at the same time, it's like I'm I have come I come from different ethnic groups in Liberia. So like having coming from four ethnic groups. It's just I embrace it. I, I, you know, there's good and bad in in all of them because, okay. as I said before, I'm I'm Kron, Loma, Bassa, and Conga. So I know there's the 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 Conga versus natives, that um you know that historical piece of, um, of Liberia and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, also having grandfathers, you know, indigenous grandfathers. They uh, come from the interior. However, they went down to Monserrato County and they were raised by uh, Miracle Liberian or Conga people. Mm-hmm. And oh, mm-hmm. so that experience. And of course, um, there was th- there was discrimination that was going on, but there were uh, indigenous people mm-hmm. who had a who had a who had opportunities who were who had opportunities and who were in. Who were in position of power mm-hmm. uh, during that time, and again, just and again, however, everybody's story is different, yeah. and um, not to deflect that they were indigenous people who were oppressed and who faced discrimination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's a whole lot with the uh, going um, and actually observing it from like a different perspective, you know, because I didn't grow up in Liberia to really know firsthand what the relations were or what the problems were. I just kind of read about it, look deeper in it, and you right. kind of just see like what seeds brought about what. I feel like a lot of the conflicts were kind of born from a lot of the um, ideolo- ideologies that they pushed here in America throughout the American slaves. And when you've internalized that within yourself that you're better than people because of like, okay, let's just say like a pigmentation or you think that they're more civilized and everything, you have a tendency to look down. If they came in with the mindset like, okay, I'm reconnecting with my roots, 
I'm reconnecting with these people. They can probably show me another side of myself I didn't know about, which are probably a couple exactly. of people probably did, but without like the arrogance of thinking like, oh no, they can't do this, they can't do that. Because they didn't have an- in, in Or they're issues. primitive and yeah, saying primitive. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but it's just like, you know, primi- uh, being primitive, it could be seen in two different ways. You can see a very peaceful group of people who don't really need the sense of guns or whatever, need to grab people or or throw them into a boat to like, you know, you, you know that could be seen as primitive. Like treating human beings like less than people or saying that they're half people, putting them in a boat in all types of conditions, making them work in your field. Treating them, that's kind of seen as primitive behavior also when you look at it that way. But it's just, it all depends on how you see it. So it's just like, you know, it's just one of those situations where we really need to have a conversation. Um, and really, we pretty much understand what's what or what led to what, but really mm-hmm. finding a solution to really reverse a lot of this because it's going to take a, a step to step um, to really uh, pushing that forward. It's not just here in Liberia, but also the the diaspora of Africans all over the world. Like mm-hmm. this self-hatred, you know, because it's now it's leading mm-hmm. to us killing our own people and everything. And that, that's just not just in Africa, but also in the states also you know absolutely you know and it's just like when i talk about things like that with even other african people like you know with the gangs in like america they kind of reflect tribalism in africa to an extent because you got to keep in mind that a lot of these uh, black american folks were literally stolen from their culture they had to create a new culture a new identity within an environment that wants them dead uh emasculated or just put just in prison you know when you have to survive in that field it's going to reflect in that field your environment you're going once you grow up in a certain environment you're going to reflect that environment and everything so it's just that's just my stance with that but since you're pretty much got um intermixed with all the different cultures because that's crazy that you got like you know Kron, Basa, Congo and uh, Lorma all mixed into one so that's like that's all so many different tribal tribes that you're actually seeing would you say which tribe do you say that you're pretty much a little bit more close to out of the four I can't I can't really say answer that question because I embrace all of it it's just growing up I know sometimes I guess um, I think with Liberian culture, you you will uh, take after what your dad is, mm-hmm. or take after like for instance, okay, I will I guess I will like take what my pater- like the my my maternal grandfather is, and then what my paternal grandfather uh, was. So it'll be I'll be Kron uh, and Loma, but and I get it from a cultural aspect. But my my um my paternal grandma and my maternal grandma helped to create who helped to create me you know they also was a part of who I am my identity so I don't I just embraced all four and growing up my parents you know just told us to just embrace and appreciate what we are so I don't necessarily have what I'm closer to maybe to an extent like yeah being I can having those four ethnic groups or it just made me Feel, it made me to become more of a pan-African mm-hmm. and made me to to appreciate Africa in the African diaspora because of my connections and like the type of type of conga that my maternal grandma was her um her her parent her parents or her grandparents came from Barbados and they repatriated mm-hmm. to Liberia some people don't know that when I know it's usually people think of Afri- freed Black Americans or African Americans yeah. repatriating to Liberia. There were a chunk of a Caribbean lot of Barbados people, people Caribbean yeah, Bajans, yeah. Yeah, I noticed because like when I spoke to a Barbados uh, person, and everything, a lot of their accents are kind of similar to. They're kind of laid back and everything. How they uh, with their English because we all got. Well, what's a Liberian English called? I know it starts with a K. It's a Colloqua. Yeah, Colloqua. Like it's it's all very similar and everything. Mm-hmm. When I thought like that, yeah, I thought he was from Liberia. He said, "No, I'm from Barbados." Like, yeah. What? That's English based. We all like that's English based Creole right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, those there's even when you speak to a, uh, a Gullah, Gullah Geechee person, the, the Gullah people from South Carolina, the Carolinas, that coast. And even, you know, that 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 uh, the Sea Island Creoles, they the way how they speak, they sound similar to Liberian people. They even say for true as well. They say for true. And we say for true. Oh yeah, that's that's crazy yeah. similarities right there. Yeah. So it really makes you think like really we're not that far from each other when you think it, about it. Exactly. But it's just like, you know, it's just that because once we actually start focusing on sorry, there's like a mosquito here. Oh, gosh. It's like a whole kind of bit my my arm. Oh my Uh-oh. god. It's all right. Uh-uh. Nasty. 
Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, man, it's just one of those situations where it's like, you know, like, really, like, I feel like the more we create more bridges to reconnect with the diaspora, wherever, whether they might be in Brazil or the Caribbean <laughs> or the Americas in general, I feel like we need to push that direction, especially within these times now, because considering how crazy, like, even America's getting and everything right now, <laughs> oh, yeah. which has always been crazy for us, but I feel like now that we're kind of wised up to, like, to see, not since who the enemy is, but since what we need to work on as a people, People, I feel like we need to really work on relying on ourselves yes. and everything, you know, and like, I feel like Africa is becoming more and more of a victim of it. Like, let's really get back into reinvesting into our people, not just the land and like the diamonds, whatever. Let's reinvest into our identity, because once you really don't have an understanding of who you are or what your significance is or, you know, just spiritually and just everything in general, you know, you're going to be bound to be uh, take be taken advantage of. You know, when you look at the Middle East, Middle Eastern people and everything, just for them saying, like, no, we want more money for gas or everything, like, the whole world would change. I just went to the gas station and went out 40 cents now. Just, like, the news that OPEC was just about to raise money for gas, just mm -hmm. that, because they have a sense of identity and respect for themselves that a lot of us really don't share. And I'm like, what? Because I, I feel like a lot of that is because of their religion, you know, and like um, with Islam and everything. <laughs> they have more respect for the masculine energy in the household. That's that's one thing I noticed. They have more of, uh, they more they value each other as a whole, as a community. And even like, then they value their God. They respect their God so heavily and everything. Where it's like, I'm not trying to miss I look down on Christianity or anything else, but I'm just, I look at that society, like, bro, like, they have so much respect for themselves and how they care themselves that you can't, like, you can't exploit them. You can't exploit, like, uh, uh, a Muslim man or woman and everything for their resources and everything without them having to put up a fight for it. So it's like, you know, this is one of those things we need to learn from people like that, you know, because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, they're, they're closest on the same continent as we are, and they don't seem to be having as much as an issue. You know, so it's just it's just one of those things. Um, but I, I just want to ask you about uh about certain trends. Uh, what are some trends like in Liberia that I feel like that we need to change as a people in order to improve our people? Um, so a certain I think we have to start using our own resources. Mm -hmm. For instance, I know there's a again there's a a rice shortage mm -hmm. or the rice the bag of rice have increased. Again, from the ones that's uh, the rice that's coming from outside the country and it's history repeating itself again, because that happened uh, during uh, the late President Tolbert's administration with the rice uh, uh, increasing this, uh, the increasing the rice price. And then there was a protest it was the rice riots. People protest about it and, you know, people, some people got killed, unfortunately, mm. but it's just, but I mean, again, people have their opinions on him or whatnot. From my understanding of what I read, I feel that he's one, he was one of the greatest presidents in Liberia, uh, William mm. Tober, because reason why I'm saying this, because first, although he was a Conga person, a miracle Liberian person, he thought he, he Show he showed Liberians to be proud of their indigenous mm -hmm. backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he and, kept pushing that. I know my grandfather mentioned that was his favorite mm -hmm. president in Liberia too. Mm -hmm. Like pushing, like dressing in your traditional wear, wearing the country cloth, mm -hmm. and so forth. And it's not wearing those the suits in the Western wear, mm -hmm. and so forth. And also pushing for to have a national indigenous language i believe it was supposed to be pele to be because that's i think it's easiest to learn so that to be our indigenous national uh language in liberia um so that's some good things some good causes and then push to like us to use our own resources and i think it's the same thing again like liberia has a lot of resources it's just you have to maybe just have the support and you have to do it because i i know there are people who are doing for instance there's this um there's this lady a wonderful lady who i follow on youtube her name is uh zawadi m and she has several businesses in liberia ghana and other african countries so she's trying to get people to invest in Liberia and create businesses. She and um, my cousin, uh, Stefan, they started um, 
a community, a Brewerville community, a community in Brewerville where, you know, some African-Americans and other Liberians, other Africans had created this community. They're still in construction, mm -hmm. but they're building that together, even have a resort that they're working on. So that is going to bring invest. That's going to bring uh, money into Liberia's uh, economy. Yeah, that's good. That's what I always be thinking about. We need to create more resorts and everything. Because mm -hmm. Ghana and like even Nigeria, like people, that would be like the more, that would be like the places people want to go to. They want to think about where you, would you want to visit, either South Africa, uh, Nigeria, Ghana, and uh, just places like that. I mean, it's so like Liberia doesn't even really reach on that list as much because like literally that's little America right there. Like their, their main language is English. So it's like, it wouldn't be hard to communicate and everything, although maybe like the accent the club might be a little bit of a throw off, but it's not that big a deal. You know, it's like, you know, it's just to think like really like, you know, like even with the black Americans here in America, they don't even realize how crazy like Liberia, that's literally their country when you think about it, because that's it was true. found just for them and everything. And we really just had that uh, mindset. We could like really reinvest and like literally put all our dollars into going to Liberia and everything, the way that we buy Louis Vuitton, where we buy all these uh, these heavy, fast cars and everything. And we really reinvested in our own country and really reinvested in our own continent as a whole, starting with Liberia, live, moving back to Liberia, buying some property. You know, why not? It's like build a little, like, uh, uh, what you call it? Uh, uh, we call it plane station? What, what do you call a plane station? I'm so, I'm so, air station? What, what is it called? You're talking about airport, uh, an airport, airport, airport. yeah. Oh mm -hmm. my god, that's an airplane. So anyway, airport, just stuff like that. You know, like it's just why are we going leaving Liberia to go to Europe just to fly back uh, to America? You know? like, yeah. So you know, I mean, this this Roberts Field Airport. Yeah. But it's unfortunately they don't have a, a, a direct flight due to the, since the civil war, they stopped flying directly from before back in the eighties, like back in the day, you would fly from JFK to, to Monrovia, to Roberts field. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately they don't do that. So you either have to go through Brussels, through Europe to get to Liberia, or you can go from JFK to Accra, Ghana, and then from Accra to Monrovia to Roberts field airport. Yeah, man, it's just like, that's just, it's really sad because like this civil war really messed us up badly, but it's like, there are other countries that had civil war and they were able to bounce back. Like, exactly. Even, even Rwanda. Rwanda, they made a whole movie on Rwanda with the oh, whole yeah. Rwanda with the Tootsies and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's like now they're like the Singapore of Africa when you think about it. So it's like really, what's the problem with us really? Like why do why do we have seen the struggle with that? Is the literacy is it the literacy rate? Is it just poor leadership? I feel like it might just be poor leadership. Poor leadership. And also we don't some some librarians don't like themselves. There's so there's 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 a self-hate. That's going on. Don't appreciate one another, too. That's a part of it, too. So that's some, some librarians suffer from self-hate and they feel, you know, they they will respect other people, but then don't want to respect their own selves. Yeah, man, not their own group of people and everything. And it's just like, you know, like I wear my my culture on my shoulder, like really. Like it's just I might not wear a flag on a t-shirt every day and everything, but every time I think about the future or everything, even in the present, I'm thinking, like, how could this elevate my people? What can I do to be like a better, you know, like of the diaspora and everything? Cause then you mm -hmm. see people like Quiddy Pay on NFL literally yes. got traded to the cults and everything. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned they bring up things like the Civil War, like people don't realize how bad the civil war was for us exactly. like we had back-to-back -back civil wars even my mom would go to detail i want to get her on the podcast eventually to to really go into detail because it's like you know my dad left a little bit earlier and everything to come to the states i think um so he could be able to you know be a doctor or whatever or learn to be a doctor you know but it, things kind of messed up but it's just like you know like really it's just like some of our parents have legit ptsd and oh yeah, like we had to be raised under people who had legit PTSD, which can manifest in all types of ways. Not like you had to hear shooting, know other people go crazy. It's like no, sometimes it could be like um, not really being able to um, manage your aggression in a way that's actually um, you know more palpable. Not being able to you know be able to voice your opinion. You know, just like some people it happened when they were really young too. So they mm -hmm. carry certain aspects of the character that might be might be a little bit childish all the way up into adulthood. And you know, mm -hmm. it's just like just Absolutely. certain things of that nature that you don't realize. 
mm-hmm. and everything. And then there's some people who don't seem to have it because they don't didn't really go through the Civil War. Like trauma is so crazy. Mental mm-hmm. health is so crazy. But I feel like a lot of us we don't really we don't really focus on that in the Liberian community. What, what's your thoughts on that? I agree. And it's it's not just Liberian community. It's a whole, it's black people as a whole. Being around Liberian Africa, other African West African people, Sub-Saharan African people, mm-hmm. Afro-Caribbeans, Afro-Latins, Black American, African American people, it is it's considered taboo in our race and throughout the all those cultures within our race. Considered taboo. Then uh, um, a lot of us Black folk do not want to discuss it. They shy away from it. Um, uh, there, it's just something. It's just it. It's, it feel, they feel like shame. It's uh, there's they're feeling shame whenever that is in regards. But my thing is yes, um, praying to God, praying about it, leaving in God's hands. That's important. However, you have to connect. You have to speak to somebody, you know, who are professional in that field. Just like how if you get sick, if you have a cold or you get sick. Uh, if you're physically sick, aren't aren't you going to go to the doctor? If you need to go to your, do your check checkup or do a blood work, you go to the doctor for that. But then if you're going through some kind of trauma or, psych- or something that happened traumatically, you would need to speak to a therapist. And, that, and that's something that we have to work on. I don't know if that's seen as weakness mm. or whatnot, but I don't really see it as like weakness per se. I feel like it's just there's like because it's like um for instance like people like in our culture believe in black magic a whole that so it's like when people like go crazy they think that they're being controlled it's by fear like, yeah or something mm-hmm. like that. So it's like, you know, I feel like education on like mental illness and just psychology as a whole could really help, you know, um, push our society forward also. Because there's instances like um, where it's like, okay, there's a lot of broken homes or like issues where it's like, you know, the parents might divorce or everything or it might be single mother like type home. You know, you, there's a chance of like without a father in the household could really bring about depression. The kids are more likely to go to prison, you know, and things of that nature. And then it's just like, you know, it's just being present parents within our our children's life mm-hmm. also is very very crucial in terms of really like you know improving uh like uh, the culture as a whole because like it's gonna be hard for us to really improve as a culture it all starts at the household mm-hmm. you know america at its base is the household you know and it's just like you know they don't focus on uh, the african-americans and the minority races because they like they just want to fill up those prisons anyway they yeah, wanna, exactly uh, prison to pipeline yeah, the riddling on the kids, mm-hmm. riddling on the kids for ADHD or whatever, which really isn't even an illness or a mental condition, you know, unless it's like really, really, really bad. But even like even as a kid, I used to think I have like ADHD, but really you just weren't like, you know, stimulated by the class. You know, when you're exactly. a boy and children, you're sitting down, boys are filled with like testosterone. They want to go out. They want to play. They want to play kickball. They want to play football. They want to sit down in class all day. Females can do that a little bit easier, you know, because the estrogen will maybe calm them down just a little bit. But as like a boy's child and everything, you got to find a way to like be present in the class so you can compete. But instead they want to put you on medication Case and everything. Dr. Mm-hmm. Umar spoke about a lot of those situations. And it's just like, you know, when I saw, we started talking about, like, dang, I used to be caught in that same situation. It's like, we really got to be mindful as a people. Gladly, my parents were, were a little bit more um, well-versed in the in medical type situation. No, like, there's nothing wrong with my son. There ain't no exactly. He's just really just being a boy, really. They yeah, to, it's part of growing up. Yeah, it's just that hypervigilance they try to do to just to get you stuck up in this system. So it's like at least a lot of us kids that are actually born in this country, they kind of see the system firsthand and uh, the type of wickedness they try to instill on all of us and everything. Let that be a lesson to learn so we can actually learn to uh, not better work for our people here, but also back in Africa, too, because there's two systems now. Two systems here where they keep us exploited here on the American soil and there where they try to exploit us of our resources there in Liberia. And it all starts from like one, we have self-hatred and a lack of pride um, within ourselves as a whole. Like, uh, what's your uh, stance on that? But keep in mind, we got about like six minutes. Yeah, so that that is true. Um, I think here is we're being exploited, trying to set, sometimes trying to get you set up uh, set you up and feel like what you said is uh there's a book called pushed out where certain things of this it, it all it also relates to the school to prison pipeline where um black girls are they were specifically addressing black girls how like black girls are being criminalized in the classroom 
mm-hmm. and I had firsthand had experience mm-hmm. growing up in in um in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania where I was picked on by a white student and then when I put her in her place, I, she started crying and using white girl tears. And mm. then I got in trouble by the teacher. And I said, well, she started it. And mm. but then I'm getting in trouble. But mm. she's not because she's crying and using her using her white girl tears or white white woman or white girl tears to mm. um, and, and playing the victim. So the mm. teacher can feel sorry for her. Mm, yeah i know i know that all too well not in the sense of a white woman tears but there are issues where i was getting picked on in middle school and everything and people try to set rumors on you or whatever but that if you react to it it's like you're a thug you're 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 an animal you're a nigga they try to wait until like the moment you react to it and then they try to like put you in this they're like you're insubordinate you have anger issues can't control your emotions and you know it's just it's just me constantly trying to fight every statistic because you know like i I had to, from a from a, from adolescence, I had to deal with like living like in a single parent household, and on top of that, you know, it was just me and my brother. So at the same time, it's like I had to be careful how I was acting because then he's right behind me. You know, I can't just be out here acting reckless, you know, putting people down. I had to get into a couple altercations in my lifetime, but I can like just be angry all the time. I had to actually think about a situation like, is this something I'm going to really worry about in like five years from now? Are these people really, do they pay my bills? Yes or no? I have to really ask myself the mature questions because like really, like you're really going to one day be the patriarch of your family and you can't do that when you got a record on you, when you're a felon, when you're a mm-hmm. And then it's like, mm-hmm. look at your record. And then like, you you know, every time they check my record, I don't even worry about nothing. That's way more than a flex and people are willing to discuss. Exactly. <laughs> oh, hey, that, that's your kid in the background. Okay, that's no problem. But anyway. Sorry. No, for that. Go, go get out of here. No, go back to go. Hey, no. tell you what, since we're close to four minutes, I'm going to just close this early and uh, we can just hop on in about a couple moments. Hop on a couple more minutes. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, you know, like it's about to get close to the end of for this recording okay. session anyway. So we can okay. hop on again. Uh, okay. In like what, five, give it five minutes? I'll let you know on Instagram. How about that? Okay, cool. All right, cool. All right, see you in a little bit. Okay, see you in a little bit. Bye-bye. And uh, all right, uh, we're back on and everything Um, here with Say. Uh, I know uh, you like to speak about uh, more about your issues that you had to deal with um, in regards to relations in between your peer group um, of different backgrounds. Um, I know you were speaking about like how you had to really uh, put this one girl in her place when she was overstepping her boundaries and like how she was pretty much uh, uh, using her uh, tears to, for the sake of um, of uh, getting sympathy, you know, which is a power. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, well, then decided to make you out like you're the bad bro. Can you go into discussion about how, like, they tried to punish you in regards to, like... Uh, you know? Okay, so it was second grade. Um, So from my understanding, from what I remember, she was teasing people and picking on people. She was saying, I know it sounds so childish, but she was saying somebody picked their nose. You know, it, this is second grade. So, of course, yes, it's a little, this is a little juvenile. Yeah, juvenile. Ain't no wrong. Yes, and... um picking people's nose and you know she's saying that people pick this off she said I pick my nose it's like I don't pick my nose and then I went on to say that's why uh you uh that's why you got a pink slip for being bad so then she went to the teacher and cried because I said that and then mm-hmm. I told it just like she told me that I pick my nose and I don't mm-hmm. and then the teacher is like the teacher was very dismissive Oh, yeah. And she didn't want to hear my side of the story. So she said, go flip your car. So I had to go flip my card. Dang. Oh, wow. That was, yeah, that's some stuff, man. I went to like a Catholic school in elementary school. So it's like, you know, I, most of my friends for some reason, because it's like a lot of African um, parents want to put their kids in Catholic or private schools and everything <laughs> at first. Like I know my friend, uh, one uh, Boris Tope, at, I think he was from, Boris TNM. I think he was from, where is he from? I think it was like Senegal or something like that. It was something like one of my friends were there was named Giorgio Benyon. Um, and he was Liberian like me, which was crazy. I thought I was like the only Liberian within a square race and everything. I thought I was like the only one. So it was like for him to be there was like, you know, it was crazy and whatnot. Um, but it's like, uh, yeah, in terms of discrimination, yeah, yeah, I've had my share of discrimination through um, 
elementary school, middle school, a little bit in high school. It just took a different form each time. Like when you were young and everything, you know, racism, you don't really see a whole lot of that when you're like a kid, but you start noticing uh, certain trends. Um, in this case, in elementary school, a lot of the times it would take all the black kids out from the classroom and put them by themselves. Like in this one um, other class, we all we do is just play board games. And like, you know, while all our other peers are advancing and learning what they got we were separated from them just to sit down in that class just so they can say like oh we're not gaining the material we're not catching on as much they literally singled us out just to sit there and i thought we were like special i thought oh wow wow we're we're cool but they would always do that i never thought anything of it as a kid and everything until later i look back like wow they really had to help us back just so they can give us candy and everything and do all this other stuff it wasn't even stuff that we're supposed to be doing for the help of our grade. It was just sitting there doing nothing. Like they were paying this person for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and I be I believe it. I believe it. And again, going back to like where I live in the Pocono Mountains, they will it's like they will only select a few black children and push them. And the other ones they didn't because they didn't want to it is it looks like they didn't want to see black people or people of color advance or even be more advanced than the white students. Yeah, man. Th that's another just, thing that I observed. Yeah, they were always like here. they're always like hyper vigilant over every little thing that you were doing, just so they can mm -hmm. flip it over and be like, "Oh yeah, that's typical," or "Oh yeah, you mm -hmm. do this, you do that," mm -hmm. and everything. You know, you can just be just a boy's kid just laughing with your friends, and it was always like you know overly you know pressed for like, "Oh, like he's like there's something wrong with him." It was like, no, he's a freaking kid. And everything. So it's just like, you and my little cousins are going to be going through elementary school and everything. A lot of them are pretty young right now. Some of them five, six years old, some a little bit older and everything. I always, I always have to mind out like for a lot of them and everything. Cause like some of them ain't got their fathers in their life either. So like sometimes I'm like the only like, you know, you know positive real male role model, which is crazy. Cause I, this, that's how you know you're getting old. Like, why wow, you're like a really like a role model in this sense. Right. So really just like, you know, like be there for them and everything, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just I'd be very protective over my children and when it comes to situations like that, because it's more than just like, oh, a misunderstanding. It's literally systematic. Like, yes. I'm to put it instilling you at a young age that you're incompetent, that you're incapable and everything. So you can carry that thought process within your whole life. And then, you know, I used to be thinking I was incompetent until I went to an HBCU and I got the help that I needed. And they don't give you like help, help. Like they're going to like give you like you know handouts and nothing no they just give you the resources you need to succeed and then you, like, you go about it and everything so it's like when i really rep hbcus heavy and everything to think like they really changed my whole outlook on myself as a student and as an individual and all i had to be there was like there for like a couple years i took an extra year because i didn't want to leave <laughs> and everything because it's just like my whole life you gotta understand it's just like i was always on the back burner when it came to stuff it's because of situations like that because they don't want to see black boys succeed they want us to struggle they want us to be a statistic and that's like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad. It's good that we're having conversations like because people need to hear about stuff. Absolutely. And then we have again, my husband and I, we have a black son. Yeah. You know, we have a son and, you know, we and that's why like I'm I'm so grateful for, for my husband. You know, he has he has he has his um, my son has his dad. My son has uh, my um, has my husband. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that. And on top of that, there's other male figures he has my dad, his grandfather, and have uncles and male cousins and so forth. So like that, you know, that really, really um, makes me uh, feel happy to see oh. that. Oh, yeah, sure. It takes a village, man. It takes oh, yes, it takes a village. You cannot forsake the child at all and to any degree because, like, it could literally get to a situation where it's like, you know, like, there's this one situation, like, this one Liberian kid I knew in Charlotte and everything. We knew him from, like, the cookouts and everything. He was just a smart mouth type of kid, whatever. So it's like... He he had the makings of a great leader. Because that's how they all start. They start these smiley, smart, mouth kids, and then they get humbled over time, and they learn, like, how to use that. That's that's the class clowns. Those are the most intelligent kids in the class, whether people understand or not. That's true. And, and everything. Um, But uh, sadly, in his case, 
Um, I don't know what happened in the term going forward, but, you know, it's just he's trying to join uh, gangs and stuff. He's doing all this other crazy <laughs> stuff. He ended. He got to a point where it's like to try and prove that he was a part of this gang and everything. He killed like one person. That was like my other cousin and everything. Literally. And dude was like really um, just trying to chaperone for his brother's party event. It's like, no, we can't let all these group of kids in here. Only you because we only knew you. And that was it. Dude went cr- just had an issue with it and just shot him. Shot him. Cold. Mm. That was it. Someone that he knew since you were a kid. You shot him. And now he's in prison right now just rotting and everything for no reason. And it's just like all this stuff happened. Why? Why have we reached this point? And it's just like, you know, we really, as Liberian kids specifically, we're going to go through a stage in life of decline. Some type of decline. Whether if it's um, financial decline, uh, educational decline, spiritual decline, social decline, we're going to decline somehow. But if we can also overstep those declines and actually become something much, much better and everything. And I feel like SML missed out on that, on really rediscovering himself as an individual. And that's one of the saddest parts about this situation. Mm-hmm. Oh, snap. Well, that's my friend Brandon. Hold on. Let me... <laughs> Hold on, let me just let her know. Um, yo, Brandon, you might have to hop on later. Like, I'm in a different podcast episode. Uh, did I say seven o'clock? Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> Can you hop on in like maybe another thirty minutes? Would that be a problem? No, no, it's all right. It's all right. Go ahead. All right, cool. all Thank means. you. I'll, I'll see you in thirty minutes. My bad. <laughs> no, no worries. All right, later, all right. bro. All right, take care. Yeah. Take care, all right. man. All right, so I guess it'll be in the next episode then. <laughs> it'll be in the next episode. Yeah. So yeah. close the door for Dale. Yeah, he's a, he's another uh, guy from college that I knew from college. Okay, close the door, baby. Thank cool. you. Yeah, cool okay. guy. Just, I knew him from college and everything. He's really into bodybuilding, so, so okay. I want to do bodybuilding myself. So it's like, that's gonna be, <laughs> I guess that's the trailer for the next episode. <laughs> right there. But it's like, uh, yeah, man, it's like for your son specifically, like, you know, daughters are very crucial raising uh, daughters and everything because, you know, that's a whole lot of generational curses you're breaking just from raising, like, daughters, like, the best way possible. You know, but like your son will become the patriarch of the family. Like literally, yes. like everything sets in the motion because of your son. Everything from protecting the daughters and everything, it all starts from like how you raise your son to later like respect woman, respect himself, or respect society to a degree, but not cater to society and every all this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's impossible. And it all comes from just how you raise your son to have pride in himself. Yes. It becomes like really him going to counseling for years and years. And it's just like, you know, I don't want to be the type of parent where it's like my kids have to go to counseling because I wasn't responsive to their needs. You know, mm. that's why the stuff I had to face like in this stage now. So it's like, you know, I have to kind of like, you know, you know, you kind of in a sense raise yourself to a certain degree, mm-hmm. but you have to be mindful of like, just like, just the person you're becoming too at the same token. So it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, on to another subject and everything. Um, I know you say that there, there, there's like, I know you mentioned uh, before you said that story, like how a black woman are ten, have a tendency to being criminalized within the classroom. Or whatnot, or yeah. So there's a book called Push Out: The Criminalization of Black Girls in Schools, Mm. and how um, you if a black girl acts out and so forth, instead of it seeing as her calling out for help, she automatically is getting reprimanded, Mm. or like especially in going back to what I stated before my experience it's there's truth to that it's true because sometimes sometimes it's like your needs aren't met or you're being ignored mm. or it's like the way how you behave is because oh yeah you just want to be deviant mm. or you want to be degenerate and like that example where when um where um you know that 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 incident that happened with me and my classmate where I got in trouble, mm-hmm. and even um, back in middle school there was an incident with my um my black classmates, my uh, myself, and then there was this uh, particular white girl when we was on the snack line she like shoved me or whatnot mm-hmm. or she pushed me because I was in her way and I said like, you don't push me do don't you dare push me do not push me so then to taunt me she went to her friend and said push 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 and just kept doing that and yeah. then and i'm i'm like again don't do it and she said oh, another jigger from the hood wow yeah another jigger in the hood Over and then being shoved in a lunch line and she had the nerve to say another jigger in the hood from the hood 
you know and again yeah I'm from New York or whatever but I, you know I'm from New I'm from New York but um I come from a a a, a decent um home I came from a yeah. decent home so because I'm black you assume or because the way how the Poconos is um that's northeastern Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and it's not far from like New York City mm-hmm. it's not far from like um metropolitan like metropolitan areas in New Jersey like Newark Trenton yeah Y'all all kind of cooped together in a sense. So know. then, because, you know, there's so much, there was some crime going on in New York, yeah. and then there's crime going on in Newark or like Trenton, Philadelphia. Philadelphia so then yeah. a lot of people moved over there for, you know, to like have a better life or to, to raise kids. Yeah. So we ended up there going up there too, moving up there. My, you know, my parents were tired of living in an apartment building. Yeah. So then they went over, they went over there. And I'm, you know what, at, although like, I w- I'm glad that we we're there for that certain time period yeah. and like, you know, childhood. But when we became got older, it was time for us to move up out of there. And then we moved to Elizabeth, New Jersey. And at certain point, at some points, I, w- I did live in Charlotte. I, um, I attended West Mac High School. Okay. So I did. Yeah, I did live in uh, Charlotte. At, yeah, you're at lucky. <laughs> you're lucky. I went to Queens Grand, bro. I hated it. You, Jeremy, and Ja'Cory went to West Charlotte. Man, I wish I would have won. I know it might have been a little bit, but at least I would have been more attuned with people that are like <laughs> me, man. Because it's just like, dude, going to these schools in predominantly West. My school was like, my high school was like, like it, it was predominantly white to a certain degree, but then it was also like kind of like they had people straight from the hood too. So mm-hmm. it, was like, it was kind of like you're getting the toxicity from all the people that didn't want to get bullied at like a regular big school mm-hmm. and the toxicity of the people that were kicked out of the big schools. And then in the, in the middle, it's just the people that just, mm-hmm. just wanted to just be there because they just didn't want to have to, you know, you know, face all the bullying and the issues from different major schools. So it's like, you know, yeah, I can feel that, you know, those environments are crazy. Exactly. Yeah. And going back to that, so you have, um, and when we first moved up there, there weren't much, many black people or people of color and, you know, it was white majority were white people. And again, racism, calling people a monkey and so forth. And then my, my father being racially profiled, stopping yeah. him, the cops stopping him because they yeah. see this tall, dark skinned African man, tall dark-skinned black man and then also having an accent so yeah. you're intimidated experiencing that or uh, whatnot and, and saying calling you the n-word and so forth they're trying to whisper it under their breath yes whispering right. under their breath or whatnot so experience so she's so going back to what happened in middle school so then i confronted her again when we were um i was we were in 7a my friends and i and she was in no we were in 7b and then she was in 7a so then i confronted her again about it and then she was started making a big thing out of it and the teacher was oh say just don't go over there i'm like but she started it but at least my male social studies teacher he didn't like try to get I'll me bet. in trouble so at least i'm glad he didn't this time he knew what it he knew what it was so he didn't try to like reprimand me but then i saw her again and then she was with her friends and then i was with my friends and i came to her and i was like you don't push me and she's like oh the reason why i push you because you're in my way i was like the the correct way to the, if somebody's in your way the correct way is to say me. say excuse me or pardon oh, excuse me. me like and then yeah say excuse me and i would, would have stepped away from your yeah, way man. you don't push me because i'm in your way and then that's the thing it's the same this white privilege thing or you think because you're white or you're a white woman you can just say whatever you want to say and not and beneath, no but it clearly for. it clearly showed that she feels that black people are beneath her and it, yeah. it's not even her it's like many other white people not saying all but there are a lot of there are many white people who have that kind of ignorant mentality as well because right, they were raised to be that way yeah we're raised to some degree and everything when you yes. raise a certain ideology you're going to carry it to some degree or another and it's just like you know like i had to deal with a lot of that in middle school too like i remember my first day in middle school it was crazy like because it was just like because my my, they, my mom sent me to this area south side charlotte you know ballantine area yeah like, i'm familiar plantations area <laughs> so like, you already know where the story's headed it's a predominantly white school and it wasn't bad the first two years was it got hectic eighth grade that's when stuff really blew over but it was like it was kind of manageable for like you know like you're gonna have issues but it was manageable like see like my first day i remember like they had a guest playing a game called four corners i spoke about this on another episode of the, the podcast too seriously and it's like i think i got out but it's like you know i was trying to be like a class clown nothing too big like i still kept <laughs> A plan. Mm-hmm. I didn't sit down, you know. It was like people just thought it was kind of funny or whatever. But then the other white kids started. This one white dude kept like copying what I was doing. 
Which was like, whatever. I didn't fret about it. I didn't care. Because it's like, it's all fun. Just have fun. That's like my philosophy. I don't sit down. Tell me why when we end up in the same corner, dude just told me to sit down. And he was out, too. Just like I was. And everything. And it's like, yeah, this dude behind me, like, yeah, T, sit down. And I'm like, who are y'all people? Like, I don't know y'all from nowhere. I understand. This same dude, I had no classes with him, nothing. Dude was hefty talking all types of slick stuff for no reason. Like, why are you so focused on some dude that has nothing to do with you? Like, I found that kind of, like, creepy. Like, you're a boy's kid. You're focused on girls. You shouldn't be, like, focused on, like, another dude that you have nothing to do with. And everything. So a lot of that, you know, started a little counterculture against me for others. So like some people, if you knew me personally, you knew I just want to laugh and have fun. But then there was that other side where they had issues for me with like no reason and everything. And it would manifest in different ways and everything for me creating enemies out of nowhere. And like, you know, this stretched over to like the eighth grade. Um Mm-hmm. this for this time i remember it like it was yesterday because it was so insane like i went to the bathroom my class actually moved forward but it's like it was in between lunch and i really had to go and um as i was washing my hands i dried it i was about to step out the door and as soon as i opened this door these two guys one really really short short kid and then this other kid i don't even know he was in, i didn't even know he was in my class at all and everything yeah. it's just like they're always talking slick stuff whatever what i just ignore it because it's like you know i'm not around you i don't know you what do you want <laughs> and everything uh, I open the door. Usually people say, excuse me, when they're a pal the pal. Like, in your situation, this situation, they just barge into me. Like, shoulder block into me as I was opening the door. I, I, and I was the one being polite as I am because that's just how I was raised. It's just, say, excuse me, whatever. I was, oh, excuse me, sorry, my bad. And I walked on. From then on, that started a rumor saying that I was, like, a molester. And that carried on to saying that. Wow. <laughs> carried on that I was gay just because of that. Just that. <laughs> Oh my God! It was so torturous, man. That was like one of the lowest points of my life because that stretched on for a whole year. My mom made me go the whole year with all this stuff going on and everything. It was just so insane. One day I'll be able to speak about it more, more prevalently. But that's why it's good to protect your sons, man, because we need to be protected too. Because it's us versus absolutely. And they try to cut you down at such a young age, you know, and it's just, it was just so crazy. I always think about like, what could have I done to avoid that situation? What could have I done? It was just nothing I could do. Cause unless I knew that they were going to come to that door, if I knew that they were going to say this, if I had any friends, I would just be like, no, he's not like that. Why would you say that? But everyone just kind of jumped on with it, you know, and that just carried on to so many other things because of that. So, you know, it was very depressing for me, but it's just, it just makes you stronger to actually think more prevalently. The guy that actually originally started that, that rumor and everything, <laughs> um, literally he was in prison, like he was in jail multiple times for assault and everything. There you go. Trying to trying to shoplift and everything, and uh, his other friend was like, you know, trying to boost cars and everything. So it's just like I've never been arrested a day in my life, but <laughs> I just try to work hard and everything because, like, yes. like a lot of people, it kind of ruins their life and everything. And I don't want to be a statistic. I, I want to work hard. If I ain't got the money for it now, I'll just wait until it's my time. And I mean, now I'm about to start my new job with Novon Health, and on the top of that, I got a part time job. The capital vacations. I'm about to work on my try to see if I can get a third job. All I do is work hard. Congratulations. That's good to oh, know in your success. Yeah, yeah. Keep that in mind. So it's like I can really understand where you're coming from with a lot of this mm-hmm. discrimination that a lot of us had to face at a young age. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, T, I love my black people. I love my fellow black people, but I'm going to have to like, there's certain experience. Not only, not only did I experience racism, but uh, growing up in the Poconos, I experienced anti-blackness with my fellow black and brown people. Hey, man, you're preaching the choir right here. Okay. um, So I know in middle school and I know, I guess people are, I guess people tease and young, but I'm just to say, explain like I went through colorism and I understand like I'm not trying to say that my because I'm brown skin I guess to black American standard I will be uh, medium to dark brown to African or Liberian standard standard I'll be light brown to medium brown and it doesn't matter that's the thing everyone's just different Uh, yeah white people never gotta worry about stuff yeah so um I experienced that but more so um, growing up in the Poconos, I, in middle school, I experienced featureism, where mm. I was being called monkey. Dang. 
because of my my Afrocentric features mm. or whatnot. I I was called a monkey. I was like, oh, um, they were you know referring me at, to an animal to a monkey. Mm. Uh, when I ate, um, I was called ugly. You're, oh, she's mad ugly. She's ugly. She's ugly. Um, Things like that. And, and now um, you have a husband and a son. <laughs> exactly. So like, let me tell you something. Those same people, um, that saying would say that some of those guys they follow me on social media. Mm-hmm. And then they like my pictures. Of course. And some of those same girls who call me those names, oh, he's like, oh, they they tell me, oh, you look so beautiful. You look pretty. <laughs> That's the funny part. And I wouldn't, and not to say like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not to say like, yeah, there were, there were people who did, you know, uh, try to approach me, guys who approached you or people complimenting me, but there was those few people who would make their colorists, uh, their, their futurist, texturist remarks call you nappy head and things like that. And I'm, I'm not trying to, and I'm not trying to get on my brothers, my black brothers, but you know, and then my friends and other um, black girls going, um, coming up over there can attest that, you know, unfortunately some of our black brothers, you know, will make those comments where they say they will prefer this type of look yeah. over, you know, they want a white woman or they want a, a racially ambiguous. Yeah, woman, no, I heard they, that one you know, time. Or they want, they want college. like more, yeah. Yeah, like I overheard like one of my friends like saying something like, oh yeah, she, she looks so beautiful, man. She looks damn near white. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? Like even <laughs> in my head, I'm like, what? You, if you like someone, it's because you like them, not because of like, whether, whether it's Eurocentric or not. I had to deal with that too and everything. My first uh, taste of um, um, colorism and everything wasn't until I was um, called darker skin on the bus and everything and everything. The uh, the lighter skin guys and everything were all like, you know, praise and like put on a pedestal and everything. It's just like, whatever, that's cool and everything. But I was always had to make, you know, feel bad because I was darker skin or because I was African or saying that, oh, yeah, you're too dark and everything. I, I know like in my case, you know, because like a lot of mono people have like kind of sleepy, droopy eye. They got a little bit of some color over on over their eyelids a little bit, you know, pigment. Mm. <laughs> Which isn't bad. It's whatever. That's just how we look like, you know. Exactly. But, but they would pick on me saying, referring to me as like a raccoon and everything because of that. And I'm just like, what? Well, I thought it was kind of clever because I thought it was different. Usually people would just go like, oh, because you're fat or you're ugly. But they never really go into detail as to why. And everything. It was just so strange to me. And it's just like, why do you have to stare at someone that like, you think that they're so ugly? You know, I'm just saying, you don't look at a roadkill and then look at, oh, wow, I'm going to stare at it all day. And it's just yeah. something else I don't like. <laughs> yeah, people are just some, yeah, pe- pe- people are something, you know, experiencing. And yes, and I will say, like, there are there are some black women or black girls over there who are colorists to dark skin, yeah. black guys. I'm like, you're dark too. So why are you calling him? this disting him up or bashing his complexion being darker skin. or yeah or why and then or you're a dark skinned male why are you harassing her about her skin color if you don't you can like whatever you like and everything but it's mm-hmm. just like you know to actually put it into context like actually like trying to bash someone because you don't like a certain aspect of them all it does is say that you might have some kind of attraction but you might not like the aesthetic yeah. that it comes with because a lot of like a lot especially in this generation we're so focused on image and what somebody looks like superficial so like seeing things like you know oh i got a light-skinned girlfriend oh because i'm so um, i got all the juice or i'm, I'm a mac or whatever <laughs> and it don't matter and doesn't everything matter. you know it's just like it really doesn't you know it's just like you know I feel like that carries on like later on in our lifestyle mm-hmm. where we start to appreciate people for their personality, uh, who they are, just mm-hmm. their sense of style. You know, because you can have a fine, beautiful woman or like a really handsome dude, but if they're like egotistical, childish, incapable of communication, things of that nature, that stuff like that will turn you off because it's just like you can't help but see trauma because it all leads to trauma. It all starts with those type of character types. Exactly. And then I, I have to thank my parents for like, you know, they, because I know some households, they're so big on colorism or so big on a complexion. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just grateful that they weren't the focus. Yeah, they will, they will speak words of affirmation mm-hmm. to us, to my siblings and I, but um, there was more so looking at like your personality, how you treat your fellow man and, you know, how well we did in school or whatnot, like us, like reward us for like doing well in school for like also helping out in the household. And then, you know, my, and also my father, you know, called, refers to us as beautiful, my beautiful daughters and so forth. So that's why I'm I'm so grateful that I had that in the household because I don't know if, if, if I wasn't raised or raised by 
um, a, a black man, an African man who, you know, who didn't think like the, who wasn't a, who, who wasn't a colorist. I don't know what, what, I don't know where I'll be. I don't know how I would feel about myself. So I'm just grateful that I had parents who spoke life, who spoke words, affirmation to us. Yeah. And that's the thing, bro. Like even Africa, bro, they don't care about stuff like that. Like I got, I got family of all types of complexion. Like my auntie's mm -hmm. like a caramel lighter skin. My mom's a darker skin type of woman. And it's just like, everyone's just different and everything. Mm -hmm. Even my dad's kind of like a lighter shader than like my mom in a sense, because a lot of, he has a little bit of some Arabian in his family a little bit and everything. So he has like certain kind of like characteristics that might be of a of Libyan and whatnot, you know, distant Libyan type stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's like, even my dad didn't care about things like that. You mm -hmm. know, like it didn't matter. It was just about just trying to build a life with somebody. And then that's just, is someone exactly culture but at the same token it was just like obviously you're going to be attracted to who you're attracted to but a lot of like who like people think that they're attracted it was based on what the media might yeah this what the so-called standard of beauty is that's yeah. all and now they're trying to push it a little bit more i don't know what market they are because i know you see them stuff like black panther nobody had a wig nobody had a weave everybody just had cornrows or cut their hair really really short mm -hmm. it was all natural and everything now we're going to get another black panther movie coming up pretty soon are you gonna take your, your son to go see that the next black panther movie coming up yeah we we will um most likely we will or we'll probably wait till the goat comes out on dvd um but last weekend i did see uh woman king and so forth oh how'd you like that how you like yeah. the movie yeah, it was it was a good movie. I know there's controversial controversies behind that movie, but I enjoyed it. Okay. You know, the woman warrior looked beautiful to me, as well as the king's wives, beautiful. And it was okay. a beautiful represent representation of sub-Saharan African people or black people as a whole. Oh, so they had polygamy in the movie too? Yeah, they had but it, that. But it wasn't like, you know, crazy or anything. It wasn't like, no, it wasn't crazy. I don't want to society. Yeah, it was just I don't want to spoil anything, but it's just pretty much ancient Africa, what you expect. You know, something when you like it's more so that the scenery is set up in ancient Africa, so you will see mm -hmm. things like that. But it wasn't with the polygamy, it wasn't crazy or yeah, it wasn't bad. It was like it was more respected back then. It wasn't really much yeah. of an issue. I mean, yeah. I don't mind monothe uh mon monogamy by a degree or anything, you know, that's what a, a majority of a lot uh but considering how the climate of how things are even nowadays like black masculinity down and everything there's so few uh, black men that really that are viable for a lot of uh, black women because uh, there's all so types of different people whether they like black women they want to be married to a black woman and there's so many just different aspects which i know there's plenty of men who would but it's just at the same token, it's like it seems like as the years go on, it seems to be slimming a lot, a lot more. Would polygamy be like such a like outworldly, outworldly thing? I mean, they can get two guys to get married to each other, which is like whatever. That's that's their business. But at the same token, why is polygamy just so taboo still? I mean, I again, this is a different time period. So, I mean, some people do it. It's done. Um it, I guess it's maybe looking for, I guess, with the whole polygamy thing, some people feel some kind of way about it, mm -hmm. having more than one wife. And then instead of just having that one wife, you have multiple wives. And I'm looking at it as like being in that type of marriage is like, can you, can, can, can you, for, okay, with for all it, the emotional, yeah, can, yeah, can you, can you handle it? Like, can you handle it in modern times? Because honestly, like going, I know like that's not a that's not a polygamous marriage, but he's not married to none of them. But Nick Cannon and his multiple yeah. children that he's having like all of them are like one month apart. Some of the children are like one month or two weeks apart. Yeah, but well, my thing is, yeah, is you have all those children. However, when they get older, when there's football games or dance yeah. recitals or things like that or graduations, can you make it to all of them? You make it to all of them? So how you can't be. Yeah, you can't be at so many places that you have you you can't be so many places at the same time so how is he gonna how is that gonna work out so yeah, like, like it might be sound yeah. good to such it might sound good to some people but when it comes like and he might and he and people say oh he's rich he has money i'm like yeah he might be have money but when it comes to like spending time with those children yeah, how is he gonna balance all that really trying to get their values for each child really trying to manage everyone's personality because mm -hmm. it's like even like with serial killers like ted bundy and jeffrey dahmer and everything you gotta keep in mind that they're parents was not that active even I, the thing is they'd be like oh no he was just fine but it's like are you sure and everything and then like his father like jeffrey dahmer's father is something else man he'll get on talk shows like oh yeah he used to play with like 
<laughs> like dead animal bones sometimes, but I just thought that maybe he was just playing. And I'm like, what? I mean, I don't know, man. It's just like, there's a whole lot of situation, like really focusing on like, you know, managing a human being and their development going forward. Because maybe in another universe, Jeffrey Dahmer could have been like a really good surgeon or something like that. It would have been someone that's told how to cure cancer, but it's like all that all that expertise was redistributed um, in regards to such heinous acts and stuff like mm. that. So it's just like, it really makes you think, you know, it's just like, is having a child just as easy like that for real? Because it's like, there's so many stuff. Just having money isn't everything. There's also, you have to really, really focus on certain habits that they build and everything. Really, uh, whether they can be able to respond to certain situations a certain way. Really building on them as a human being. That's a whole citizen you're creating right there a whole human being they're gonna have their own values and everything moving forward it's just really just a matter of them keeping on the righteous side of things but it's, mm-hmm. i feel we spoke on a whole lot of matters and since we got about a couple five minutes and everything is there anything um which um is there anything else that you want to clear up before we uh, pass on or are there any uh last words you want to know our state? again i just uh i just want everybody to continue to walk in their path like whatever calling whatever gift that they have use it and if you aren't there yet um speak to a mentor connect with somebody who can push you who can encourage you so i just ask that um people can work toward their calling whatever gifts whatever the purpose is act on it Oh, yes, most definitely. Couldn't have said it better, man. I'm actually glad I really hopped on with you. This is a really, really good conversation. And every the whole whole podcast situation, I just got off work. I'm like, dang, like, could I really do a podcast today? And everything? <laughs> so, so I be forgetting like, I can really do it off Zoom a little bit more often. I'm trying to hit 150 episodes. So I'm 40. I think after you, that'll be 41 episodes away from reaching that goal. So it's like, I'm really scared. Yeah, yeah, I try to say goal. I'm really goal oriented when it comes to this thing. You know, hopefully one day this could be, you know, set on or I could be available, able to put it to the forefront where like thousands of people can probably listen to it. As long as I have a whole lot of content, I feel like people mm-hmm. can fall into it. Mm-hmm. So it's like hearing from y'all perspectives, especially other Liberian kids, it really does paint a mm-hmm. bigger picture that a lot of people don't realize is there. So it's like, yeah, I, I feel that. Yes. And also, everyone, I, I published two books. Um, the book I published, Hidden Commonalities, Identifying Cultural Similarities Among Africans and African Descendants, as well as Unraveling the Story of Black African Here. Those books are available at www.saycarry.com. That's S-A-Y-E-C-A-R-R-I-E.com, as well as major booksellers such as Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Wonderful. Dad, I wish you would have let it. We would have spoke more about them books. All right. And it's no problem. We can speak about it at the next season. You're trying, you're trying to drop another book in the future, possibly? Uh, most definitely. Definitely will be doing that. Okay. Most definitely. Okay. At least we got another thing looking for season three. I de- if I had known that you had to drop two books, I would have definitely would have been speaking about that the whole time. But hey, a good conversation is a good conversation, man. But uh, anyway, thank you for uh, speaking on your book and everything. Uh, that's it for the Mental Threats Podcast, episode 109. We sewn in and now we're sewing out. Okay. That's it.